Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin. Many graduates of the College of Arts and Sciences are in the front lines in the battle against COVID-19. One example is Dr. Corby Smithton, a biology and zoology graduate who went on to earn his medical degree from the Oklahoma State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. His wife, Corby, is another CAS and OSU Med graduate. They're both providers at Stillwater Family Care, where they're seeing patients who have, or think they have, COVID-19. Corby Smithton joined me on Zoom to talk about what the experience is like, what he expects to see as we continue to face this pandemic, and why CAS graduates are key to pulling us out of this situation. Okay, so you have two degrees from OSU Stillwater, and then you went on to the OSU Med School. That's correct. I got a degree in zoology in uh, 1994 and I actually applied to med school my first year, kind of late in the process, got an interview but did not get in. And uh, at that time, my advisor had just recommended coming back to school and trying to utilize that time to get another degree. So I came back and uh, got a biology degree uh, in 1995 and then uh, subsequently got into med school uh, the following year. So three OSU degrees and I see I was not aware of this. You played football at OSU, too. I did for a couple of years, yeah. It, uh, we, we weren't any good, and nobody will remember me or my name, for sure. I was on the infamous 0-10-1 season. You, you may or may not remember those years. They were pretty, they were pretty bleak. So I uh, played a couple of years of football, and, you know, at that point, it was getting a little bit more challenging to fit in my labs and things like that. I, you know, they were trying to have us do all of our labs in spring, and that interacted with spring football and stuff like that. So, it, you know, I wasn't going to be an NFL player. I wasn't even going to ever be a, a great college player. So I had bigger fish to fry. So I just made the decision after a couple of years that uh, I was going to focus my efforts on my studies and try to do, uh, try to get in med school, which was my, you know, my life dream. You came to Stillwater from Woodward. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Did a bunch of education here, then went off to med school, and then you came back to Stillwater. You, you must really like this place. Well, I, I, I really do. I mean, you know, I think most people that go to Oklahoma State University, regardless of where their, you know, initial hometown is, I think this, this place just becomes home to a lot of different people. You know, my wife and I were fortunate enough uh, to have the opportunity to be able to come back here. That was not our original plan. We had planned to move back to my hometown of Woodward, and we we're both going to start a practice out there. And the cards didn't fall out quite right, and we ended up having an opportunity, did some interviews over here kind of late in that process, and worked out really well. Uh, my wife is from Tulsa. Her family lives over there. My family at the time was still out in Woodward, uh, and spent a lot of time in Stillwater at ball games and stuff like that. So it was it was a great location, great place to raise a family, and it, it was a good kind of in between location between both Tulsa and Woodward. So it worked out really well. And just to uh, put some context here for people who don't know, you are Corby Smithton. Your wife is Colby Smithton. In fact, you're both Doctor Colby and Corby Smithton. I'm sure that doesn't ever confuse anyone. Yeah, it gets a little crazy. Uh, we, we usually tell people that don't know us or that meet us for the first time, the, the L is for lady. So <laughs> we met in, a I think, in an ecology class, if I'm not mistaken, she would have probably correct me. But we, we met in class uh, on campus at OSU, had some classes together. And then, you know, fate would have it. We ended up getting into med school at the same time because I, in fact, didn't get in my first year. So it, it actually worked out pretty well. And you are in practice now together 
We are. That's correct. Yeah, we, we came out in practice together. We started a, a practice called Stillwater Family Care. There was another uh, family physician uh, that came with me at the time, along with uh, Colby, and she's a pediatrician. So for a couple of years, it was the three of us. And then over time, we've lost a partner and added some new partners. Uh, there's five of us right now that practice in this location, four of which are family physicians, and then one of which is Colby, the pediatrician. The fact that you're a physician is really what sparked this conversation. I know, obviously, you're, you're a CAS alum, and you're out there right now at a time when we're fighting COVID-19. Uh, I was curious what that is like. Yeah, you know, it's, it, I probably say the same thing that, that a lot of people say. It's just, it's just crazy, you know, and it, uh, it's just a completely new normal, I guess, if you will. So our business, really, from a business model, has been affected probably like the, bar, you know, the barbers and the nail salon people and, and everybody else. Um, you know, we, we are busy right now, but it's, it's kind of a different type of busy. So, you know, overnight we had to learn how to do telehealth visits and we're doing car visits if you're sick. And we are still seeing patients in the office, but our volume has definitely taken a little bit of a hit right now. And, and some of that's just because patients rightfully so are scared at times. They're scared to come into a doctor's office, fearful that they might catch the COVID-19. So, a big part of what we've tried to do is really just educate our patients that, you know, this is a safe place to be. We are still running business as usual, but, it, but it's been a big, big change, something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And really it changed overnight, you know, just like with the light switch, all of a sudden practice that we've been doing for I mean, nearly 20 years is just completely turned upside down. You know, from a standpoint of seeing COVID patients and testing COVID patients, we certainly have have seen patients and we've tested patients and we've had positive patients from our office. But I can tell you that Payne County in general and Stillwater Medical Center in general has done a really, really good job. I think we have been ahead of the curve. I think that's predominantly why our numbers in Payne County have stayed so low. I think Governor Stitt has done a good job as far as putting the kibosh on everything early in the process. And I think that our you know local mayor has done some of that as well. So Stillwater Medical Center has kind of a COVID team that we have established. So if you end up, you know, unfortunately being one of the people that has symptoms, tests positive, or even if you're presumed to test positive and, and sick enough at this point that you need to be in the hospital, you're being taken care of from a hospital standpoint by a COVID team so that you're not having multiple different physicians who are seeing sick patients, multiple different nurses, caregivers, respiratory therapists, et cetera, so that we're trying to limit the spread beyond those individuals, if you will. So you answered one of my questions there. You have had patients who have had COVID-19, I'm sure that you and your wife and everybody are taking all the proper precautions, but it has to make you nervous, doesn't it? Oh, it, it definitely does. Again, because it's it's a very, it's it's just completely different from what we have done in the past. And that's not to say that, that we didn't practice good hygiene and that we didn't wash our hands before and after seeing patients. And, you know, you do go home and you set in your scrubs and, and we have you know, we have children and the things like that, that that is, that is not what we do now. So, you know, we're gowning up and gloving up and wearing N95s when we have suspected patients and, 
you know, as soon as we get home at the end of the day, we, you know, we're, we don't wear wedding rings. We don't wear watches. We don't wear jewelry. We kick our shoes off in the garage. We take our scrubs off in the garage. I mean, you know, we immediately get in the shower. So there's some definite changes that we've adapted to, but, but that's a big change from what our normal routine would have been in the past. Do you have any thoughts on what we're going to see from here? Today is April 24th. It seems that the curve has been flattening in Oklahoma. Do you uh, have any guess on what's going to happen from here or do you even want to make a guess? Yeah, I, I don't mind guessing, but I mean, it, it is a guess and, I, and I'm really following probably the same numbers that, that you're following. We get information daily from our hospital as far as Payne County numbers and Stillwater numbers and, and I have a generalized feel for what we see in our office too as far as how many patients that are calling in that are sick that have respiratory complaints and those types of things. I do think we're nearing the end of this. I am somewhat fearful that, you know, if and when we open things back up, if it's Again, if, if we went back to the old way where everybody's at ball games and everybody's right on top of one another, I, I fear a little bit of, of having some sort of a rebound. But, you know, I think time will tell with that. I think at some point you have to open things up. Life can't continue to go on like this. It's affected our you know, economy, it's affected our nation. I mean, there's very few people that aren't affected. I, th I think if you own stock in Zoom or if you're maybe a, a TV analyst, you're probably doing well right now. But outside of that, I you know, I think just most people's businesses are really, really affected. And I think we need to get back to some semblance of normal. So I do think we're towards the end of this thing. Um, I have I have hope that the summer months and the heat and the UV radiation, sun exposure, I mean, there's a bazillion different things out there that you hear all the time that should make this virus better, should make it less communicable, if you will. But uh, unfortunately, time's just going to tell with all this stuff. I know uh, you mentioned one, heard a lot. One thing that I'm concerned about is sort of a, a rebound when we open things up and people around mm -hmm. each other again. And then, of course, <laughs> there's a fear of this being seasonal like the flu, where at this time next year, we're right back in the same situation. Are you worried about that? And do you think we are just going to have to be extra cautious until we get a vaccine? I think we should be extra cautious until we get a vaccine. You know, I, th I think they're looking at some of the seasonal stuff right now in the different hemispheres. So, uh, you know, I heard, I think late last night, uh, Australia and some of the other areas that are starting to come into their fall months thus far, they have not really seen a resurgence yet or a rebound, if you will. So I'm hopeful that this is you know, somewhat of a one and done. There have been other viruses out there in the past that have been similar to that. I think everybody's biggest fear is that this does become kind of a seasonal flu. And unfortunately, until you get a vaccine, it is what it is. But I guess my overall take on this is I just, I think there will be new normals. You know, I think, I think we kind of had a, a pre 9-11 United States and we had a post 9-11 United States. And, you know, it was a a big problem to go into a airport and have to take off your shoes and take extra time to go through screening processes and things like that, that, that now we do and we don't think anything of it. But I think for a great period of time here for a while, there may be some significant changes again to events where there are large crowds, school. I mean, we're a smart enough uh, nation that we'll be able to figure this out, but there just may be some, a little bit of headache along the way. As a doctor, I mean, you're out there fighting to save lives and help people get better and things like that all the time. Does this feel different for you right now as far as the appreciation people have for what you're doing? I feel pretty fortunate in what I do, and I have a really good rapport with most of my patients. And, you know, quite honestly, that's why I chose family medicine is because I do strive to know most of my patients. I know their background. I know their history. You know, it's not un
common for me to, you know, give my patients a hug either when they come into the room or, or when they leave. And that, that unfortunately, you know, I miss that, uh, to be honest. I do feel appreciated right now, but I, you know, again, I, I'm fortunate. And for the most part, I've always felt appreciated in what I do. I've, I've got a great set of patients who often write me letters and say thank you. And so there are certainly those that don't, and that's the exception to the rule. And I understand that, but I've never really felt underappreciated for what I do. Of course, there's a lot of information out there. Some of it is accurate, some of it's not. Are there any misconceptions that you are aware of? Anything you would like to say, hey, here's the truth? No, and you know, and I, I, I certainly wouldn't consider myself an expert on any of this. I, I may be getting a majority of my information like most of America is. Uh, I get a lot of information off the news, I, a lot of journals and things like that. And, and I think this is an ever-changing subject. So, I mean, there were you know, we had information early on of certain drugs you shouldn't use when, you know, when you're suspecting this and then drugs that you should. And some of that stuff has been disproved over time. But I, I don't know of any major concepts out there right now that I would say have been disproven that people need to steer clear from. You mentioned earlier that things have gone relatively well in Oklahoma and Payne County and Stillwater. And uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I will say I have been pleasantly surprised that the numbers have been lower than I expected. Has this gone better than than you anticipated? I think so, but you know, again, I, I think we're a little bit isolated in Oklahoma, and it, it's just we're a little different breed. I would have a completely different feel and a completely different set of circumstances. Obviously, if you or I lived in New York City, mm. it is really significant. So the challenge I think that you have here sometimes is taking it serious enough because. Our cases are mild and a lot of us don't know somebody who has this disease or who has been affected by the disease. So, so that's been the bigger challenge, you know, I think is getting everybody to buy into the concept of, hey, even though not very many people are sick, you really, you still got to stay at home and you got to, you know, you got to be smart. You can't do all these things. It's hard to educate your children on that, you know, because they feel fine. And, you know, I've got a senior and a sophomore who really want to go out and do what they typically would do in the springtime and hang out with buddies and friends and stuff. So, so that part has been challenging, but I think this has gone about like I thought it would in Oklahoma, just simply because of kind of where we are and the way that most Oklahomans live. And you talked earlier about your education. I'm guessing you feel like you were OSU quite a bit through there, but your undergrad in the College of Arts and Sciences must have helped prepare you for success. Is that true? And if so, how did it help prepare you? Yeah, I think that it did. I mean, I always loved science in high school. I mean, I loved biology. I loved anatomy. I loved doing dissections and things like that. I had a, a high school teacher that, you know, kind of pointed me in the direction of medicine. She thought that's where I would potentially have success. Um, so that's a lot of what I did when I was at OSU is I took, obviously, classes within the College of Arts and Sciences and and enjoyed most of the classes that I took. So I feel like I got a great education. I do think it helped me, you know, set me up for success uh, in the future for sure. And, and that's where I learned about OSU's medical school, to be, to be honest. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't even know there was such thing as a DO at the time. But through advisors and through that college, I, I learned the process. I was able to go over to the campus at OSU and take tours and through the interview process. I mean, it, <clears throat> it just absolutely felt like home. So much like the campus in Stillwater does, you know, when you walk on that campus, it's, there's just a different feel and a different vibe than if you're in a big city or if you're in Norman. I mean, everybody's friendly, everybody, it's almost like everybody knows everybody, even if they don't. So 
that's the same feel that I got when I was in Tulsa at the medical school. And, you know, like I said, it, it became home very quickly. I'm curious, even outside of this current season, this current coronavirus situation, uh, having two doctors who are married, it must present a lot of challenges because you both obviously are working very hard, many hours. How hard is that? Well, you know, I, uh, it is hard and I get, we get asked that question a lot, but, uh, We've also had the the benefit and the advantage of being together kind of all the time, you know, really from the moment we started dating uh, at OSU, we've, we've kind of been on the same career path. So we had the distinct advantage during med school, which is a super challenging time as far as time commitments. Everything we were doing, we were doing together. We had tons of friends who had spouses that were not in healthcare or not in school at the same time who you know, unfortunately ended up either divorced or broken up or whatever, because you spend so much time with your med school class and so much time studying and <clears throat> so much time in labs that, you know, it's hard for human nature not to develop jealousy and, you know, and those types of things. So I think it's been a gift, to be honest. I mean, I, yes, it's been hard. We've got, you know, two doctors and we both work and we've raised a couple kids really well, in my opinion, but we've been able to do all that together and, and it's worked out great. And, you know, we're great friends. So that, that helps. We have to laugh together, obviously, or, or this wouldn't have worked. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. No kidding. You and your wife are both DOs. A lot of our listeners are college students who may not really understand what an MD is versus a DO. Could, could you explain that? Yeah, you know, I think the easiest way to explain it and, and how it has always been explained to me is I think DOs just have a little bit more of a holistic approach. And I generally encourage students when they're going through that process, when they decide if they, yes, they want to go to med school, but then what type of med school do they want to go to? I would encourage any of those people to go and, and take a tour at the, at the school that you're applying for and see how the instructors are, see what the physicians are like there, see what the students are like there. The training is no different. If you have hypertension and you are an MD, you treat it X way. If you are a DO, you treat it the same way. DOs get a little bit of additional training in manipulation therapy. So we do learn to pop some backs and crack some necks and do some of the, um, some, some of what's called OMT. I think it's, that's the old term. They probably have a different name for it nowadays. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself, but but I think what that taught me to do was be, become very comfortable in touching my patients in an appropriate way, in an appropriate manner. And I personally believe that if you spend time with MDs and DOs, I think there is a significant difference in bedside manner with a lot of, with a lot of those physicians. And that's not to say that there aren't, you know, great MDs, and that's not to say that there aren't some sour DOs, because I know that there are, but I do think that there's a, a big difference. And I think that's in the education process. At the end of the day, you're a doctor. So th that, that part is what it is. When did you decide you wanted to be a doctor? High school is predominantly when I, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of when I started saying that. Uh, again, I had that, that teacher that kind of pushed me in that direction. And, you know, it's one of those things. It, unfortunately, you don't really know that you've picked the right career path, unfortunately, until you not only get in, but until you get in, finish, graduate, and kind of start doing what you do. And it's a long haul. I mean, it's a decade of your life that you're giving up. So, you know, again, I felt very fortunate that when I got out that I, you know, I love what I do because it's a, it's a big time commitment if you don't. And you mentioned a second ago your advice to aspiring medical students about visiting the campus. What other advice do you give potential future doctors? 
I think shadowing is, is, a, is a really important thing. And, you know, most of the kids know that. We certainly have students uh, being here in Stillwater. We have OSU students all the time that call our office that ask to shadow for certain classes or ask to shadow because they are, they're starting that journey I mean, going in or trying to get into med school. But I think it's important to do those kind of things to see if you like it. If I was going to be a, a vet, I would probably want to hang around some animals and some vets to make sure that I liked pets and that I liked what they do. And, and on a a little bit different scale, I think you should do the same thing if you think you're interested in medicine. I would spend time in all as aspects of medicine, whether that's nursing, whether that's phlebotomy, a hospital lab, uh, radiology, you know, there, there's a bazillion different forms of healthcare. It doesn't have to be medical school to become a physician. There's a lot of other steps and uh, things that you can do along the way, but I do think it's important to spend time in healthcare to make sure that that's something you have interest in. And that's certainly something that I did going through the process as I <clears throat> did some time in a hospital out in Woodward one summer, spent time in a lab doing phlebotomy, uh, shadowed, you know, multiple different physicians in different specialties to see if I had interest in surgery or, or different specialties. So that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give. And we're hearing nationally a lot of stories about there being a shortage of the PPE. How has that been here for you? Well, we've been okay here. I mean, we, we did struggle early on in the process and just trying to locate that stuff because obviously we're a little bit lower on the pecking order as far as being able to get stuff. You know, the hospitals are obviously going to have first choice. They have better buying power and they're better able to get those things. We were able to secure uh, through vendors, honestly, through patients, through, you know, things like that, that we had stuff donated to us. So right now our, our numbers are fine. Early on, I would say we didn't have great numbers of those things, but I think everybody was panicking a little bit too, and we weren't sure how many of these types of patients we were going to be seeing, you know, on a daily basis. So I think at this point, the hospital has plenty of PPE kind of stocked up, and, and certainly our office does as well. I used to be a sports writer. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I was born in 81, so I don't remember much about, say, the early 90s as far as OSU football, when I know the yeah. team is not very great. I know off the top of my head, Barry Sanders left in 88. Mike Gundy was here in 89. Yeah. Did you play with any, any names that people would recognize? Mike's first year, uh, I think Mike's first year as a GA was my first year on campus. So, you know, I have a, I kind of have a mortarboard picture up on uh, my wall and in one of my exam rooms here. Uh, and he's sitting on the front row with, you know, coach's shirt on and I'm up four or five rows behind him with the jersey on. So, so I, I do know Mike, I've, you know, his kids and my kids are the same age. I coached his kids when they were younger in sports. And so our families have kind of uh, intermixed to a certain degree. I did not have the opportunity to play with Barry or Thurman or any of those guys. But, uh, but Mike, he was part of the coaching staff when I came in as a freshman. I'd like to thank Dr. Smithton for joining me and for everything he's doing in the battle against COVID-19. If you are a CAS graduate or know one who has been on the front lines and would like to tell their story on the podcast, please reach out to us at pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. Remember, there's no T in Pokes Podcasts. And with that, I'll end with our regular final question. How are the arts and sciences making the world a better place? I think the biggest thing right now is people who had the opportunity to be in the College of Arts and Sciences somewhere, those are the minds right now that are going to fix this current 
this current situation that we're in. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, but there's, you know, there's physicians, there's microbiologists, there's a variety of different people who have been in those college settings who are using their undergraduate knowledge right now to, to be on the front, you know, the front edge of this thing fighting it. So, I mean, I think that's pretty important and, and I think it's pretty incredible.